Hear the word of God from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. It's located on page 831 in the Pew Bible. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. The Lord be with you. Take Heart is the title of the preaching series we've been following this Advent season. It comes from the words of Jesus in John 16, 33, when Jesus says, In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so in this series, we've looked at some of the really tough and troubling things of this world, things like disease, violence, inequality, things that cause us to be anxious and afraid. But we've also looked at the hope and peace and joy that Christ brings that give us reason to take heart. Today, our final theme in this series is love in a world of brokenness, quite specifically the brokenness of relationships that have fallen off the rails, either through some dramatic train wreck of a collision or through the insidious separation that comes from creeping neglect or through the blind spots within a family that enable dysfunctional patterns to continue. Each family has at least one of those or through whatever other circumstances may have befallen us. The the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that have wounded our relationships with others. At this time of year, the pain of this kind of brokenness is felt with a fresh intensity. If there's a family member that you're not speaking to right now, you know what I mean. 
If the shadow of your divorce continues to creep across your Christmas, you know what I mean. If the family Christmas dinner table feels like a battlefield to be survived, with long buried landmines of resentment waiting to explode and emotional shrapnel flying all around, you know what I mean. And if everything looks happy on the surface, but down below there's the clammy fear that comes from knowing that love in your life has grown cold, you know what I mean. When it comes to the area of relationships, especially at this time of year, we need more than ever to hear the encouraging words of Christ to take heart. Maybe there's a specific relationship that comes to mind for you right now that's needing the healing balm of God's love. I'd invite you to hold that person in your mind as we continue, as we listen for a word from God. And so, friends, let us now bow our heads in a moment of prayer. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we watch and wait for the coming of love in a world of brokenness. We recognize that this is our deep and desperate need. And so we watch and wait now and ask that that love of yours would come and wash over every relationship of ours in need of your healing balm. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When my eldest daughter was still a baby and just starting to experiment with the wondrous gift of language, her vocabulary was limited to the usual lexicon of baby talk gibberish, the gugus and the gagas. But then one day it suddenly expanded in a dramatic and noticeable way. She was about 14 months old and sitting in her high chair in the kitchen. I was getting something out of the fridge when I eyed a bottle of orange juice. Being a bit thirsty, I grabbed the orange juice and proceeded to take a big glug straight out of the bottle. I see the men folk nodding with understanding. And all you women trying hard to conceal your disapproval. <laughs> well, at the risk of disillusioning all of the wives and mothers in church today, let me assure you, sorry guys, the cat's out the bag, that this sort of thing happens still now when you're not around. <laughs> Just because you don't see it don't mean it ain't happening. <laughs> it tastes better straight out of the bottle. But anyhow, there I was taking a long, delicious glug of orange juice straight from the bottle when I heard my little cherub of a child uttering one of her first intelligible words as she said clearly and distinctly, 
No. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be kidding me. The technical word for that is busted by my 14-month-old. Of course, it was purely coincidental. And turns out that what she said was not really that unusual. Linguistically, no is easier to pronounce for little children than yes, and usually comes early on in a child's vocabulary. But I wonder if there's more to that early no than just linguistics. I wonder if even at an early age, there's something within us that leans towards saying no. Maybe it's something we inherit. Maybe it's something we learn. I'm really not that sure. But I do know that as we grow older and experience more of the world and its wounding ways, it's a word that becomes increasingly familiar. Certainly as a gawkish teenager trying desperately to get a date, it's a word that I heard a heck of a lot. (laughs) But in all seriousness, the wounding experiences of this world prompt a greater cautiousness within us. When hearts are broken, when hopes and dreams and promises are broken, when trust is broken, saying no becomes an understandable response. It offers a measure of protection. It guards us from risky vulnerability. It shields us from the intimacies and messy complexities of authentic relationship. In a world of scams, manipulation, and abuse, saying no certainly has its place. But friends, when it becomes our default response in life, Little by little, it leads to the hardening of the heart, a tragic condition in which the richness and beauty of life's joys and sorrows are replaced by the coldness of cynicism, isolation, and a certain bland and numbing despair. The Christmas story speaks directly to this reality. For in response to the broken relationship with humanity, in response to our rejection, ingratitude, and disobedience, after all of the disappointments and betrayals from generation to generation, God refused to give up. God refused to say, no more. God refused to say no. In response to the insistent no of a rebellious, defiant, and wayward world, God declared an emphatic yes. We hear it most clearly at Christmas in the cry of a vulnerable, needy child lying in a manger. Christmas is God's yes to the brokenness of the world. Christmas is God declaring that he will not give up on us, that he is still open to us, that he is still passionately committed to being in loving relationship with us. Christmas is God taking the monumental risk of having his life inextricably bound up with ours. 
Listen carefully to the vulnerable cry from the manger and you'll know it's true. Listen carefully to the name given this child and you'll know it's true. For you'll hear in that name an echo of God's great yes. Yesu. He will be called Yesu. Son of the Most High, who will save his people from their sin. Now, the wonder of the Christmas story is that God's great yes was heard because others dared to say yes also. The most obvious example is the focus of today's scripture reading which tells the story of a young girl by the name of Mary who dared to say yes to her part in God's audacious plan to heal a broken world. The encounter between her and the angel Gabriel is known as the Annunciation. Now, in our Western Protestant tradition, we don't pay too much attention to it, but in other traditions within the Christian faith, it's a different story. In the Russian Orthodox tradition, for example, the Annunciation is a pivotal event in human history. It's a defining moment in the great story of salvation. You see, in that Russian Orthodox tradition, the moment Mary said yes, the tide turned in the long battle with the powers of sin and death. The moment Mary said yes, it meant that God could now enter the world in Christ Jesus. It meant that there was hope for the healing of humanity's brokenness. It meant that salvation was finally at hand. In our tradition, we focus on the cross as the defining moment in the story of salvation. That's when God makes the winning move to break the power of sin and death. But the orthodox tradition, whilst not negating the importance of the cross, the orthodox tradition suggests that the winning move occurred a whole lot earlier with a trusting yes from a young girl. Who would have guessed that this was the pivotal moment when the tide finally turned. This insight struck me with fresh force a few years ago when I was visiting the Tretyakov Gallery in Moscow. I saw a beautiful depiction of the Annunciation in a 12th century Russian icon. Take a look. It shows quite simply the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary But as you have a look at it, let me highlight just a few things very briefly about this icon. Firstly, notice that Mary is clearly standing on some kind of solid square platform, whereas Gabriel appears to be floating in the air. Secondly, notice that Gabriel's right hand stretches out in blessing into the space between him and Mary. It reminds us of the initiative of God in reaching out into the gap 
that separates us, but only so far. For God refuses to dominate or coerce us. There is space that is left for our response. Thirdly, take a closer look at Mary's right hand. It's not very distinct, but if you look carefully, you'll notice that she holds it to her heart, cradling the Christ child who has already taken form there. What an amazing insight that can speak profound truth into our lives. As God comes to us, reaching out to us where we stand, rooted in our moment of history with our own set of relationships and circumstances, God's blessing comes to us in the form of an invitation to be a part of what God is doing. It's an invitation with space in it for our response. And when, like Mary, we say yes to God, in that very moment, there is an incarnation within us. As that yes allows Yesu to take form and shape in us. And with Christ-shaped hearts, there is literally nothing that God cannot do through us. So friends, how does Mary's story speak to you as you think about the broken relationships in your life and the parts that God asks you to play in mediating his incarnational presence there? As I think about one such relationship in my own life, I long for healing and reconciliation with all my heart. But the truth is that I don't know exactly what I should do, except to say that I can listen to the angel's words and dare to believe that they are also intended for me. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. Nothing is impossible for God. And hearing those words, like Mary, I can respond by saying, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Who knows what God can do with such a willing and open yes? Who knows what shape Christ may yet take within us, even in the midst of our broken relationships? And who knows what brokenness may be, may be healed through the birthing of such love in our lives? And so let me close. A kindergarten teacher got the children in her class to make a present for one of their parents in time for the end of year Christmas concert. She put out all kinds of material and said to the children, you choose. One little boy decided to make an ashtray for his dad. So he took some clay and worked it and worked it with his little fingers. 
uh, and put a groove in it until he had something that possibly resembled an ashtray. Put a groove in pretty much anything and you could have an ashtray. (laughs) What color do you want to paint it? The teacher asked. Blue, he replied. And so he painted it blue. The day of the concert arrived. And finally the big moment came when the children would present their parents with the gifts they'd made. But in the excitement of getting the ashtray and running to give it to his dad, the little boy tripped and the ashtray fell and shattered into dozens of pieces on the floor. And with it, the shattering of his little heart. He froze, his eyes grew wide in horror, and then he just collapsed into a little heap of great big sobbing tears. His dad was so moved by what he had seen that he rushed to console his son and said to him, don't cry, it doesn't matter, it's all right. Please don't cry, it doesn't matter. The boy's mother glared at the father and whispered at him, don't you dare say that. Don't say it doesn't matter. Can't you see how much it matters? And then getting down onto the floor, she held her sobbing child and cried with him a long, long while. And then when the crying was done and the tears had been wiped away, she got up and found a box and said to her boy, now, Let's pick up all the broken pieces we can and we'll go home and see what we can make together. I think that that's a picture of what love does. Love in a world of brokenness. The kind of love that dares to risk saying yes even in the midst of the brokenness, the love of God that is at work even now in our lives. The God who finds us in the anguish of our broken hearts and shattered relationships, who knows exactly how much it matters and who says to us, now let's pick up all the broken pieces and let's go home and see what we can make together. So what will you say in response? Will it be yes or no? May God give us the courage to take heart and the grace to say yes so that God's great yes may also be heard. Amen. Let's be quiet for just a moment. Amen.